Well, as we begin today, Chris gave us this big idea last week, and here's what it was as we introduced this series. A life of no regrets is a life lived for Jesus and Him alone. A life of no regrets is a life lived for Jesus and Him alone. That we would be people that would give ourselves over to Jesus Christ and everything that we do, that when we look back, when we pass from this earth, that we look back, and in Christ, because we all know in ourselves and our humanity, there's things we wish we could do over, but in Christ and living for Jesus Christ, that we would have a life that had no regrets because we left it all on the table for him. We know that every day in our life is numbered. And really what scripture says and what we want to teach is that we want to make every day count for him. Not because we're dying, but because we've actually been given life to live. So let me ask you a question. If there was one thing in this life that you wanted to do, you hadn't done, because you're either uh, too much of a wimp, you didn't have enough courage, um, you didn't have enough money, uh, you didn't have enough faith to trust in God. It could be spiritual, it could be non-spiritual, it could be something that you have always wanted to do, but you have never done it. Here's what I want you to do for the next 30 seconds. I want you to tell the person next to you, and they might already know, and they might say, no, you're never going to do that because they're your wife or your husband, but you still get to tell them, hey, here's what I want to do, and here is what I've always wanted to do, but I've never done it. So turn to the person next to you, whether you know them or not, for the next 30 seconds and tell them what that would be. Some of you aren't talking. I know it's 9.30. Come on. <laughs> One thing. Some of you are like, nothing. I've done everything I want to do. <laughs> Come on. All right. You are a, less, a lot less talkative than last night's service, so I'm going to close it down. Hey, uh... This last week, my son's friend, Cole Hambright, whose mom and dad are sitting right down here, and great friends of ours, uh, he turned 18. And so Cole wanted to go skydiving for his 18th birthday. That's pretty cool. Now, um, his mom and dad surprisingly said yes, and they let him go skydiving at 18. But the greatest part was, uh, I don't think mom was too comfortable with dad going, but she was really comfortable with, with, with dad's dad going. So grandpa was okay to go. I don't know if that was because he was old and his life was almost done anyway and it didn't matter. So you might as well just throw grandpa up there on the, the plane. But grandpa was okay to go. So 89-year-old grandpa jumped out of a perfectly safe plane into the open air last weekend and fulfilled something he had actually wanted to do as well. And there's going to be a few pictures up on the screens of Cole and uh, his grandpa. And as you see them up there getting ready to jump, <laughs> pretty cool, huh? I talked with Vince, and he said his, his dad, when he had talked to him, wasn't just planning on doing this once, because when he heard out that there was going to be an instructor and they were doing it tandem, he was like, well, that's cool for the first couple times, but then I'll, I'll be able to do it by myself. <laughs> so I think grandpa's going again. So uh, way to go at 89 to live life passionately and take courage and jump out of a perfectly safe plane and face death. That's awesome. And Vince just told Debbie, I want to go skydiving. And she said no again. So, you know, that was his thing. But here's what Jesus said in John 10, verse 10. He said, there's this thief that comes to steal and to kill and destroy. Jesus said, though, I've come 
that my followers might have life. And he said that they might have life to the full. That they might have it, your translation, if you looked it up, said they might have life and have it abundantly. That you would be filled to overflowing, that there would be something different about your life because Jesus, the very presence of God was in you and gave you courage and strength to live differently in this world. And over the next four weeks, we're going to share four principles that, that we believe are kind of foundational for, for living a life of no regrets. And here are the four, that we would be people that would live passionately, that we would love completely, that we would learn humbly, and then as we walk off this earth, that we would leave boldly. And today we're going to take a look at this, what it looks like to live passionately. And as I stated earlier, not to, to look at this in the next 30 days and say, it's because we're going to die. No, it's actually because we've been called to live. And our Savior says, I want you to have an abundant, full, joy-filled life. I want you to live passionately for me. One of the great things uh, as believers, for those of you who are followers of Jesus in this room, we have the assurance that death isn't it. In fact, Scripture tells us that death is just the beginning. That actually, that's when life starts for eternity. That this place is just a resume for eternity. And the only thing we take with us are people. The only thing that leaves when you leave are the people that you know and love and have shared the passion and love of Jesus with. And so as we look at it, it shouldn't limit us as we get older. It should actually liberate us. And we should have purpose that this life, which is not forever, there is an eternal life that is. And so today we're going to look at that. Psalms 90 verse 20 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Psalmist said, teach us. So we must learn. <laughs> There's something here that, that we need to learn, that we need to understand, that we need to grasp, that, that, that we need to number our days. So now for the next 23 days, since we're seven days into this, we have a chance to live differently. Last week, Chris gave you a, a, a one month to live challenge, and if you weren't here, they're going to be out at the information table. You can pick one up today, but the one month to live challenge is I commit with God's strength to live the next 30 days as if they were my last so I can experience life to the full. And over these next 30 days, that, that you would begin to just look at your life a little bit differently. Some of you want the book. It's up in our bookstore. You can grab it. It's got a devotional that goes with it, and it'll help guide you through this. But I just challenge you this morning, if this message, if you'd pick up this card, and for the next 30 days that you say, you know what, God, I am going to live differently. And our hope and prayer is it would become a pattern in your life, and it would begin to create some habits in your life that you would begin to live just a little bit differently. And this morning, as we begin, we want to see what that looks like to live passionately. I love what Howard Thurman said. He said, hey, don't ask what the world needs. He says, ask what makes you come alive and go do it. So this morning, what makes you come alive? What passion has God instilled deep within your heart to make a difference in his world? Because what the world needs is people that are alive with his spirit. That is, we learned this morning, the people that would speak life because the spirit is alive in them. And out of this scripture in Luke chapter 5, it's an amazing passage of some men that began to just transform the world by their faith and their action. In verse 17, here's what it says in Luke chapter 5. One day, Jesus was teaching 
And the Pharisees and the teachers had gathered, and they were sitting there, and they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and, and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, hey, friend, your sins, they're forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Story of experienced alpine hikers who said they, when they were hiking and they would be caught in a, a, a storm that was brewing and, and there was lightning and thunderstorms, they had seen the hairs on the heads of those that they were traveling with actually stand straight out from their head like radiant crowns, while the metal frames of their backpacks glowed with this eerie neon blue light called St. Elmo's Fire. There was something in the air. The same phenomenon has been recognized by sailors in the ancient times when they would see the tops of their ship's masks crowned with electricity and the lightning that was imminent was far off, but they knew a storm was coming. Something was in the air. For these hikers, it meant that it was time for them to discard the pack and get the metal off and to take cover because something was about to change. Something was going to happen. And I think that's a great imagery for what was taking place where Jesus was in the midst of this crowd. There was an electricity in the air. Something was going to happen. People knew it. They packed out this place. It says they came from every town and every village, and all these Pharisees and scribes and these religious leaders were there, and they were gathered, and they weren't there to experience something. They were there to expose someone. See, they were watching Jesus and ready for him to mess up, and they were trying to catch him, and this room was packed, and there was an electricity, but the greatest thing that was happening there was the scripture says that the very presence of God was there which meant something was going to take place. There was an electricity. There was an excitement that was in the air. Now, you might not know much about the roofs in the, the Syrian world, but they were constructed. If those tiles came off, there were timbers below, and there were reeds and branches and trees and thistles that made up the next layer. And then uh, around that was this whole thing was overlaid with about a foot of earth that was packed down to resist water. So they believed that this roof was about two feet thick. So can you imagine... I mean, these guys really must have loved their friend because they come up on this scene and the room is full and the place is packed and they can't get in. So they must have thought to themselves, we got to figure this out. And they decided to climb on the roof. Now, can you imagine in the midst of your Bible study and you're just hanging out and all of a sudden somebody starts cutting a hole in your roof? <laughs> you'd be like, what's going on? And you'd call the police because the dude that was on your roof didn't have it all together. And that's what is happening here. These four guys are up on top of the roof and they begin creating a hole and digging space and going down two feet deep to get a hole to go see Jesus. And can you imagine the debris and the stuff that was falling and these scribes and Pharisees who were already upset and mad and trying to expose Jesus are sitting here saying, what is going on? This guy is crazy and his friends are even crazier. And a hole comes in the roof. 
and these dudes lure a guy right in the middle of your Bible study. And Jesus looks up. And I think he determined this was pretty much a labor of love. See, these guys were determined. If they could have Jesus just touch their friend, they knew that he could be healed. They didn't let the crowd stop them. They didn't let the embarrassment stop them. They didn't care what people thought. They just decided, we're going to go cut a hole because that's the only thing we know to do. And we're going to lower the dude right down into the front of Jesus. And we're going to pray that he gets healed. And in verse 20, what does it say? It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Wait a minute, that's not why we lowered him. He's, he's paralyzed. Can you see that? We want him healed. And Jesus says, no, wait a minute. Hey, your friends need to understand something. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus came and, and said, there's something way more important than your physical healing right now. It's your spiritual healing. I'm not just going to change your physical condition. I'm going to change your eternal destiny. And then all of a sudden, these Pharisees start looking around, and Jesus says, I know your thoughts. <laughs> You're trying to catch me. Now you got something on me, you think. And he says to them, you know, you know what's going on. Why do you think I'm trying to heal? What do you think is easier? Saying forgiveness of sins or heal somebody. And in verse 23, he says, Listen, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, the guy stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. I'm going to guess his friends just looked at each other and said, that was awesome, man. We got a two-for-one special. <laughs> Not only did we get our friend healed, but his sins are forgiven. And their faith catapulted something that changed this man's life forever. Jesus did a complete heart transformation, and then he gave this external evidence so everybody would know that it was him and he was the Son of God. But first, he was way more concerned with our spiritual condition, and he said, your sins are forgiven. And when these Pharisees started to complain and started to question and started to say he was blaspheming, that's when he turned and he said, let me tell you something. <laughs> My physical miracle that I'm going to do is going to verify the moral miracle that just happened, and you're going to miss it all because you're so concerned with the wrong things. You've been healed. Now, go get up and walk because that's secondary. That has a time limit. Your soul for eternity is now saved. That's going to be the greatest gift I could ever give you. Now I want you to take up your mat and I want you to go home. Can you imagine what it was like when that dude stood up? Can you imagine after all the commotion and the roof and the debris and the stuff falling down, the light just shining down right here and this guy gets lowered and all of a sudden he's laying on a mat and he stands up and he walks out the door. Man, I don't know if I was one of those scribes and Pharisees and I was caught in my religion and I was caught in my tradition and I was caught in all the things that were distracting me from actually seeing the very presence of God. When a dude got up and he walked out the door, I said I would have probably started to change who I was and what I was doing. 
And so many times we miss the very presence of God in our lives. We sometimes miss it in this place because we get distracted by all the things that don't matter for eternity. And our religion and our box keeps us from missing the very presence of an almighty God that's sitting right in front of us. And we sing, I will be faithful. He will be faithful in the past. He will be faithful in the present. He will be faithful in the future. But sometimes we can't even sing it or hear it because we're caught up in the wrong things. And the Pharisees and the scribes were sitting there and they almost missed everything until Jesus got this guy to get up and walk out the door. I love the determination of these dudes to lower their friend into the very presence of Jesus. They cared so much about their friend that they were willing to do whatever so they could encounter the living God. And it says, as that section closed out, verse 26, everyone was amazed. And they praised God. They were filled with Oh, and they said, we have seen remarkable things today. Let me ask you a question. Anybody amazed and giving God praise because of the remarkable things that are going on in your life? Anybody amazed of the remarkable things that are going on in your life and amazed because God's doing something and it's not you and, and, and you're just, God's just using you in great ways? Let me ask it this way. If you knew you had one month to live, how would you live your life? If you knew you had one month to live, how would you live your life? Last week, I was uh, flying to the East Coast, and so I was at Orange County for the first flight out. And, you know, all of the flights out at Orange County, the first ones, there's like 12 of them. So you sit on the tarmac because... Can't fly out before 7 o'clock or whatever. So we were in the terminal getting ready to go, and, and our airlines uh, oversold our flight by like 16 people. And that wasn't an exaggeration. So they started, you know, at the $200 mark of asking people to get off the plane so somebody could have a seat. Uh, and so they got down. There was like three of us left. And so I'm sitting out there, and uh, they let one more person on, so that was down to two of us. And, and the guy that was standing there with me, he just came unglued. You know, I, he just went off on how he's got to make his connection flight in Chicago. And he's got to go to the next place. Do you know what I'm doing? And then the cuss words just started flying out, man. He just started ripping this poor counter lady. Uh, and, and, and all of a sudden, she just had a mom moment. And she said, now, sir, we're not going to talk that way to me. You just sit down. <laughs> and I was like, I'd already gone over to another section, man. I was out of that guy's way because he was, the cusser was mad. So cusser and me are sitting in the, in the terminal, you know, and we're waiting. By this time, it had gone up to like $500. If you just get off that plane, you get 500 bucks. You can take the next plane at 10 o'clock. And so uh, cusser gets on first. And I'm like, well, shoot, I should have been mad or something because he beat me on now. And then this one sweet lady walks off the plane. I guess the number had gone up high enough for her. So she was off and gave me a seat. So I got on the plane, I walked a row like 29 in the back, and I'm in the middle. Love the middle seat, don't you? Love the middle seat. And guess who I was next to? It was me and Cusser. And so, man, I put on my noise-canceling headphones because I didn't want his wrath. And uh, we were about 30 minutes into the flight, and, and all of a sudden I look up as I'd been sleeping, and I had that book, One Month to Live, there. I was going to read it at some point in the four hours, and... 
I, I, I looked up and there was commotion in the aisleway and they were taking the defibrillator down the aisle and they were taking the oxygen mask and there was a, a man who had a medical emergency and when I looked up, his wife was standing and she was, she was crying and, and they had a person working on his chest and we assumed that there was a heart attack and then all of a sudden they said, um, we have a medical emergency, we're landing in Vegas in five minutes and man, we, we landed in Vegas in five minutes and we were down pretty quick and they were on that uh, plane fast and got that man off and here's what I want you to know everything in that plane changed. Everybody's spirit was different. Everybody was inconvenienced. We all knew we were going to miss our connections. But in that moment, it was like they didn't care. Cusser all of a sudden started talking to the lady next to me, and they figured out they were on the same flight, so they were trying to figure out the latest flight they were going to be able to take, and they were having a very nice conversation. He had de-escalated himself, and things were calm, and, and people around, there was nobody complaining about anything. Because you know what just happened? Life flashed before their eyes. And it became real in that moment that there was a man that nobody knew, but everybody had a moment where they, I believe, began to look at their life and went, that could have been me. I boarded that plane this morning thinking everything was okay, and 30 minutes later, he was sitting there being carted off, and we don't know whether he lived or whether he passed. But everything changed in the moment when they understood that life was hanging in the balance. And I thought to myself, why don't I live that way? Why don't I live like I do have 30 days left? That, that, that God's given me the season of life to, to invest and to make a difference. Why am I not as passionate for Jesus each and every day as he's asking me to and he's calling me to? And I want to just leave you with these kind of three things that I think from this scripture kind of point out what it's like to live passionately. Because see, see, passionate people, they are drastically determined. They have this unwavering faith. Man, I don't know about you. I'd love to have a, a, a tear off a, a, the tiles of the roof type of faith, wouldn't you? There, where I don't want anything or anyone to get in the way of following Jesus. And so many times as followers, I said, we just get distracted by the things of the world. And actually we get beaten down or actually the enemy convinces us that we can't do it or we shouldn't do it. Or, 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 or we're just kind of crazy to think that way. And we miss out on exactly what God has. But I want to remind us, man, if we are drastically determined to live a passionate life for Jesus, then we should be asking, if I only had 30 days to live, what would I do today? then as God leads, we would actually go do it. I love Romans 12, verse 11, that says this, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. To live zealously, to live fervently, to live passionately, it says keep it. Keep that spiritual fervor, which means we can lose it, and which means we do lose it. But it says, you know what? Serve the Lord. And we understand that misplaced zeal can be off-putting, but zealously serving God by serving others is exhilarating and it brings life. And so these four guys, think about it. They passionately went after Jesus for their friend. It wasn't even themselves. But they said they just got to get him in front of Jesus. And they went up and they didn't care what anybody thought. They didn't care that they vandalized somebody's house and they're going to have to pay for a new roof. They actually just tore the hole in and lowered him down. <laughs> And they had this unwavering faith. The second thing is passionate people find God's space. 
They find God's face. Verse 19 said that they lowered him right down in front of Jesus. Proverbs 10, 27 says, reverence for God adds hours to each day. I love the message translation of Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Love the Lord God. We know it is with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. The message says, love the Lord God with all of your passion and all of your prayer and all of your intelligence and all of your energy, that you would love him with everything that you are. Reverence to God adds hours to your day. And all of us would look around and we'd say, in this busy life that we live, we need extra hours in our day. So I want to say to you, put God first. Start your day with him. He's the great multiplier. Jesus understood it. Mark 1, verse 35, he said, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. You want to keep your passion in this crowded world? I really think the only way to do it is to make room for Jesus. And the third thing is this, that passionate people find unexpected experiences. When you step out in faith, and you believe God is calling you to do it, you're going to find some unexpected experiences. These dudes stepped out in faith, and it said right there at the very beginning that the power of the Lord was in this place. They didn't know what to expect. First of all, they didn't think his sins were going to be forgiven. They were just going to get the dude healed, and now his sins are forgiven, and now he's healed. They had some unexpected experiences with unexpected people. And when his power is unleashed by your faith, you step into a world that is paralyzed with sin. And you know who was paralyzed the most in this scripture? Was the Pharisees and the scribes. They were paralyzed to their religion, to their traditions, to the way of they've always done it, to they missed the very point that Jesus was trying to make in those moments, and they missed him, and he was sitting right in front of their face. And I promise you, sometimes when you step out, God's going to take you into some unexpected experiences, and he's going to turn your world upside down, but I promise you, it's going to be greater than you could ever expect, and he's going to do things you could never imagine. See, he is, he is a passionate God, and he is an unpredictable God. So if you follow him, expect your plans to change. Expect it to be different than your little box thinks it is, but... Are you willing to trust him as you step into faith? Because faith is going somewhere that you know if you step into this area, God's got to show up because it isn't going to happen and nothing's going to be done because in your own strength and your own power, you can't do it. What is it today that you've been waiting to do for your whole life for Jesus and you just haven't done it because you're scared half to death? Because you're worried about what other people will think? Because it might cost you something. Jesus didn't look at the dude on the mat. He looked at his friends. He said, your faith caught my attention. And because you were an activator, I'm going to heal your friend. Have you ever thought your, your faith, God's going to choose to move in somebody's life, your neighbor, your friend, your coworker that's far from God because you actually just took a, a step of faith and invited them somewhere to church or you invited them to coffee or you just poured into their life and just started to love them because that's what Christ called you to do was to love them. And out of that, God might ignite something in their heart and the Holy Spirit might move because of your action. And did you ever think because of your inaction? That person might not ever hear or see who Jesus is. 
I mean, the, the text wouldn't tell us that this guy, we don't know what would have happened if these guys wouldn't have brought him. But I think the story's there for a reason. That these dudes were living passionately and it changed this man's life. So today, what is it that God's calling you to do to step out of your seat, to step out of your comfort zone? Some of you today, you actually need to jump out of the plane <laughs> because you're hanging on to the safety of the plane. <laughs> and God's asking you just to take a step out and trust him. And some of you are 89. You're not too old. And some of you are really young and you think you got all your life to live. I don't know. Your days are numbered. God's got that. We spend so much time in our lives preparing for death. I don't know. I've, I've done my estate planning and I decided who my kids are going to go to if we both, you know, die. I got all my money kind of lined up. Got all that set up. And I thought to myself, yeah, I, I'm, I'm planned well for death. How am I doing it? planning on living. <laughs> I've been given this one life. I've been given these next, let's just say, 30 days. And Jesus says, man, I'm looking for people that would be faithful. I'm looking for people to do the unexpected and expect it. I'm looking for men and women of great passion that love me completely. So today, can I just encourage you, if that's you, step out of the plane and trust Jesus and expect the unexpected. I think it's pretty cool that he actually wants to use broken, frail, and human people like us to do extraordinary and eternal work if we just be willing to trust him. So this morning as we close... Psalm 46.10 says this, be still and know that I am God. I will be, not I might be, not it could happen. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. God is God. Do you trust him? Do you believe in him? This morning is when we wrap up. I'm going to give you a moment to be still. And maybe it's your time just to ask God, what is it that uh, by faith I need to trust you in? What is it that you've been asking me to do? And I've just kind of been sitting in my seat and been hanging on to the arm rails. What is it that you're wanting from me? Maybe some of you are right where you are. You're so out of your comfort zone, uh, you can't even believe you're doing what God's calling you to do. Way to go. But today, some of you need to, to step out and step into faith. Would you be still and know who your creator is and who your God is? You serve the God of the universe, and he is dying for you to step out and trust him because he passionately stepped out of heaven and went to a cross for you. So this morning, maybe you just thank him for that. Maybe you just need a reminder that he's God. But maybe you need to ask him, what is it that you want from me, God? And then this morning, 
this week, go do it. And let's see what God does in and through you. So we're going to give you about 45 seconds just quietly to sit and to be still. And however you want to approach God, it's between you and him and then we'll close. God, we acknowledge today our great need of you. God, we thank you today for your son that passionately is seeking out his children. Thank you, Father, for the people in this room for this hour that love you. But maybe this morning life has just kind of defeated them, beat them up, and maybe the enemy is... God told them they don't have anything worth offering anymore. Yet I think of some ordinary guys who didn't care what anybody thought, who fought away the circumstances and the reality that was before them that they couldn't get to Jesus, so they figured out a way. God, today, um, I thank you for these people I pray as we go this week that we would be people that would, would make a stand for you, Jesus, that it would be kind of a, a way that we live, that we would be passionate about our relationship and our love for you. Thank you for people who are taking great steps of faith, God, in their life. And, and today, I just pray for a step, whatever that might be. It might be something small and seems so insignificant, yet God, in your hands, it could do something that could change someone's life for eternity. So thank you for those that are sharing their faith. Thank you for those people that have come to Christ here throughout this summer and all the things that are going on in our church. Thank you for people that are doing things, God, and, and stepping into areas that you've got to show up or it's not going to happen. So, Father, we just call uh, on this church that's still here 104 years later. God, we believe our best days are ahead because we've got people that are filled with the power of the Spirit of God. Would you activate that? Would you build a passion in us to reflect you in a world that desperately needs you and is paralyzed by their sin? So God, today, may you free us to be people that would stand for Jesus Christ in all that we do. And we say thank you. And it's in your name we pray these things. Amen.